There's some weird things happening over here. I'm going to assume that it's fine, because it says it's recording. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Card Game Cooperative, your semi-infrequent, remotely competent podcast about Lord of the Rings, the card game. Arkham Horror, the card game, and Marvel Champions, the three cooperative living card games from Fantasy Flight Games. Uh, I'm James, I'm one of your hosts, and with me tonight is Simon. Good evening. Are you alright, sir? I'm doing good. I'm flagging, but I'm doing good. I've got nearly a pint of tea, so that's going to keep me going. I have a pint of tea, a pint of water, and a pint of beer, so this the, the next hour could go anywhere. Um <laughs> Unfortunately, Mike is is not with us tonight. He's had a, a family emergency. He's he's had to deal with, um, and Will is also not here because Will was making way for a, a very special guest. Um, joining us tonight is Tony. Hello. Hello. Uh, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, as we're very aware that we're we're taking up your time, we're going to kind of skip over our our introductory sections and kind of go straight in. Um, Tony, would you like to to tell our listeners why uh, you know wh- why they might have heard your your name or possibly your voice before, and why what you have to say is is going to be inter- of interest to them as uh, as as fans, particularly I guess of Marvel Champions. Yeah, so I am the newest designer to join the Marvel Champions team. Uh, I joined mid last year. Uh, my first project on the line was the Mojo Mania scenario pack. Um, and I'm going to be doing design work going forward for Marvel Champions. Cool, excellent stuff. Um, so I would imagine for for many of our listeners, it you know it sounds like the the dream job. Um, could you maybe tell us you know a bit about kind of your your background as a gamer and you know how you how you came to be doing game design as a as a full time job? Sure. So I. I really got into gaming when I was a, a teenager back in the 90s. I was big in the uh, the customizable card game phase. Um, I played a lot of the Star Wars and Star Trek card games from Decipher at the time. Uh, dabbled a little bit in a bunch of different ones like Magic and Battletech and things like that. Um, when I went to college, I kind of fell out of tabletop gaming, was more into video games at the time. Uh, but then in the late aughts, early 2010s, my wife and I got back into board gaming with things like Ticket to Ride and Pandemic. Um, and basically my entire life from from teenage years and on, I've always had an interest in game design. Uh, when, when I was in high school, my brother and I would design our own card games a lot uh, based on various IPs that we really enjoyed at the time. Um, and I, I would do game design in my free time. Um, usually games didn't end up going that far. Uh, mostly it was just an exciting idea, but then making a prototype is always a lot of work. And so kind of, it would, it would peter out after the idea stage. Uh, but, uh, I applied for a couple of positions, uh, at Fantasy Flight Games. Um, I got an interview for one, um, and that's how I met Caleb. 
Uh, and after after we met, he invited me on to join the uh, Lord of the Rings Living Card Game playtesting team. Um, and so I did that uh, for several years. I joined uh, that test right around the time they were doing the beta test for the Black Riders. Um, and so I spent several years doing that, uh, interviewed for positions or, or applied for positions as they came up and managed to finally luck out and get one in 2016. Excellent stuff. I was, I was hoping you were going to say that you'd met, uh, met Caleb at, you know, a Star Trek tournament back in the nineties or something like that. Nope. We weren't living in the same state at the time, so yeah. <laughs> never, never crossed paths. And so what, what was the kind of the, the first thing that you, you worked on when you, when you actually came on, came into FFG as a, as a designer rather than just a play tester? When I got hired on, I was on the board game team more so than the card game team. There's kind of two design teams at Fantasy Flight, um, one that focuses more on board games and then one that focuses on card games, which is probably the one that you're all more familiar with. Um, my, my first project that I worked on was on the uh, Imperial Assault miniatures game line. Um, my, my first project was working on the Heart of the Empire expansion for that game. Um, from there, I did a scenario for Mansions of Madness. Um, I helped out a bit on the Runebound expansion, Unbreakable Bonds. Um, I worked on Star Wars Outer Rim with Corey Konitska. I did the uh, expansion for Civilization to uh, A New Dawn, the board game. Uh, and then my last project, or, or I should say my second to last project on the board game side was the board game Unfathomable. Uh, and then the last project I did just before I transitioned over to the card game team was um, the uh, Unfinished Business expansion for Outer Rim. That's quite the CV just on the board gaming side there. You've, you've gone through and listed quite a few games that I've uh, sat down and enjoyed playing there. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of uh, great opportunities to work on a bunch of different titles and it was always a lot of fun. So what caused the change over to the board, the, the card game team from the board game team anyway. Yeah. So, uh, in 2020, early 2020, uh, Michael Boggs, uh, had decided that he was going to be leaving the studio. Uh, and so the, uh, the team was looking for another designer to, to join Caleb on the line. Um, and there were some discussions within the card game team about who would have the time and be best suited for that. Um, I had worked with, Caleb for a long time. Uh, I knew the game line well because I had been playtesting with Caleb and Boggs uh, since the core set on it. And so I was offered the opportunity to, to jump on the line with Caleb. And that was a, a very exciting opportunity for me. Um, I've always loved card games, as you can imagine, from playing CCGs back in the 90s. Um, and so being able to work on, on champions with Caleb was a, a great opportunity, and I was really excited about it. And were you, were you a Marvel fan prior to, to coming onto the game? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I like most people, I'd seen the movies, uh, really enjoyed them. Back in the 90s, I, there, I went through a comic book collecting phase. Uh, my primary titles were, were Spider-Man and X-Men. Um, I, I got out of it at one point just because I didn't have the, the funds to keep up with it. But uh, 
yeah, I've I've always been a fan of uh, of the the superhero genre, and seeing them on the big screen was always a, a delight. So I suppose it kind of feels a little bit like you've come into Marvel Champions at the right sort of time if you're a, a big X Men fan. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah. Sadly, uh, most of the X Men were already designed when I joined, but uh, being able to work on the Mojo uh, scenario pack was a lot of fun. So, can tell us a bit about how how Mojo came about. Did you did you kind of say I want to do a Mojo pack, or was it that you had kind of a structure or a mechanic in mind, and it was more about finding characters who would would fit that? I believe the original idea was Caleb's to do a Mojo pack, um, and in discussing it with him and Boggs, it seemed like a great way for me to to dip my toe into the Marvel Champions line to take the lead on that particular product. Um, and so that one really started with the idea of doing a scenario pack around Mojo. Um, and, and then I just took that idea and ran with it. Uh, we, we discussed, uh, kind of some of the other characters associated with Mojo, uh, Spiral being one of the main ones. Um, Longshot is also very much tied to Mojo in that he comes from the Mojo verse. Um, Magog was a little bit lesser known, but we kind of uh, wanted to have a, a, a heavy hitter um, to start out the uh, the mini campaign with. Um, and so that's kind of where he came from uh, to join that that scenario pack. So you, you mentioned the, the mini campaign. There was, again, was that kind of the idea going in that this was always going to be a mini campaign? Or was that sort of something you came to gradually as you explored it? I believe that that was the plan as far back as the the visioning process, uh, process, which is kind of the first step of any project, is visioning it. What's this project going to look like? Who are the characters involved? Um, and so I think even back then we had in mind that we wanted to make this a, a mini campaign you could play through because we knew we wanted to do the three scenarios. Um, and so the idea was, wouldn't it be awesome if you could play them in a sequential order and have a little bit of carryover? Um, obviously, there were some limitations to how we could do that because there were not a lot of cards in the pack for like campaign cards and things like that. Um, but I feel like uh, the, the solution we landed on makes for a really nice little uh, mini campaign in that you still feel like you're carrying things over, you still feel like your previous performance matters in, in moving on to the next scenario. I was going to say, being able to start Mojo with Wolverine's Adamantium Skeleton already in play is uh, uh, yeah, definitely uh, kind of a, a worthwhile reward, whereas, yeah, you know, I guess if you, if you had have had cards to, to spend and you're trying to design sort of options for people to take as upgrades, then... Yeah, if you're working with limited space, finding something that fits everybody could be quite difficult. But having, yeah, being able to say just pick a was it a support an upgrade, a card from mm -hmm. your deck and start with it in play in exchange for a threat cost worked worked very nicely. Yeah, I thought. yeah. Everybody loves starting with free stuff. <laughs> "Quote unquote free," depending on just how worried you are about threat. <laughs> What's a little bit of threat? These are all high threat threshold scenarios. Yeah, right? it's, it's like, it's like true. Yeah. 20, 25 <laughs> per hero on uh, on Mojo. Yeah, you're never going to threat out on that one, are you? You say that, but... Run out I, of tokens I, before you run out of room on the scheme. <laughs> I, I definitely finished my Mojo playthrough recently on 24 threat. 
It was like a, <laughs> I need to either kill him this round or I'm losing. Awesome. Those uh, photo finishes are always my favorite. Yeah. So with the whole, like, trying to build stuff into the campaign thing, was was Longshot kind of like a thing that was to try and help with that? Was he always meant to be in it? Or was it like it would be really cool to have this card that kind of goes through and pops up every now and then and helps out a little bit to kind of keep that continuity going? Yeah, so like I mentioned before, Longshot is very much tied to Mojo. And so we thought it would be awesome to to get him into the, the product somehow. Uh, we considered just making him a player card that you can just throw into any deck once you once you buy it. But that, that felt a little underwhelming to us. Uh, and so the idea that he's just kind of there in the Mojoverse floating around and sometimes he'll pop out to help you seemed like a really exciting idea for, for the character. I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm always a fan of cards that go in the encounter deck that help me. So, Sure. Yep. Yep. Those are always an exciting moment when you, when you yeah. pull one of those. Cool. And, you know, I guess the other sort of big distinctive thing about, about the Mojo Pack is all these these show modular sets. Um, you know, the, the previous standalone scenario pack we had with the hood was, was very modular set heavy. Was it was it kind of an intention of, you know, that seems to have been well received, we want to repeat that? Or, or was it more about mojo only makes sense with shows? We've got to make sure there's enough shows to to kind of fill a mojo campaign. I think that really came out of discussions that Michael Boggs and I had about what the scenarios were going to look like, how they were going to play. Um, we talked about how it would be great to, if it felt like each playthrough, you're in kind of a different type of television program. Um, and so from that, we bore out this idea of, oh, what if we had these modular sets and each one was a different genre of TV? And so each playthrough of the scenario feels a little different because you're picking different modular sets to use in them. Um, and so that's really how, how that kind of originated. And we, we brainstormed a bunch of different, like what would be the best genres of television that we would want to get involved here. Uh, we came up with a long list of them. Not, not everything made it in. Like we didn't really do a reality TV one. That was one we had talked about. Um, but we got a bunch of them in and I'm, I'm really pleased with the, the breadth of uh, different genres we were able to capture in the uh, limited space within the pack. If you had to pick one of the six, which would your favorite of the, the modular sets be? I'd probably have to go with the sitcom one. It's just so bonkers and, and out of left field. Um, and it contains my, my favorite thing I've ever designed to this point, which is the, the watch me play uh, obligation. Um, is that the the one with Deadpool as the yeah and the when you look up a rule you are confused it's fantastic my wife knows well that I I love my corny wordplay <laughs> like when when you were designing that was that kind of a you knew that people are going to just be looking up the next rule that they possibly can just to get that confused token and like it it was it supposed to be there to just be like entirely fourth wall breaking kind of i mean it is a card that if you know the game really well or you just re play really loosely with the rules and don't really care if you're doing everything precisely correct it may end up doing nothing um but just 
just to have it sitting out there and kind of taunting you like, oh, if you don't know how this works exactly, you're going to be confused. <laughs> just uh, I thought that was a lot of fun. Uh, we threw insight on there and peril and we we intentionally left off any reminder text for those keywords just in case you had to go to the rule book to find out what they meant. Oh, I love it. See, I looked at that and I was like, I'd be immediately looking up a rule just to take the confused token to get rid of the peril. So real real life um uh real life situation from when i was playing through this with my wife the other week when she says to me oh insight what does that mean does does that count as looking up a rule uh if somebody else asks you yeah um if the obligation was in her play area then i would say yes that would count as as looking up a rule i i would consider anything where you don't know the rule and you have to find it out somewhere else that is my official ruling on what looking up a rule means excellent I love that we have rules questions on the card, making fun of rules questions. Um, unfortunately, um, she played through the Mojo campaign with Storm, and I think pretty much every turn she was either in or out of clear skies, and everyone was stalwart. So uh... <laughs> that's a very nice tech against it. Yep, foiled again. There was there is some very nice stuff in that Storm deck that kind of made playing through some of this very easy there's the um the one that allows you to ignore the text on a non-elite enemy and mm. having that against the werewolf was yeah very handy yeah yeah there's a number of nasty minions in the set that you would love to be able to just blank yeah yeah that that felt it was very nice when that happened there was like a nice bit of respite there of oh <laughs> Actually, I might just make this. You know, what, what do you think was the the secret to getting all of those modular sets to feel feel so unique? Because yeah, even though we've got is it, is it six of them, they they do all feel very very distinctive with their own their own character. Yeah, I I think it's a number of things. I think um, certainly the the art and flavor tells a lot of the story. Um, but I think also the fact that they're so varied in terms of their contents um, was something that was a little bit different than your standard modular sets. Uh, your typical modular set comes with like a, a side scheme and a few minions and maybe some treacheries. Um, and for this one, I, I wanted to lean into kind of mono card type modulars. So you've got the the crime one, which is all side schemes, just about all side schemes. You got the sitcom one, which is all obligations. Um, and so just giving those different card types to kind of reinforce the what this genre is all about, I think kind of helps get across what the, the feeling that I wanted to convey with each of the sets. Crime is nasty in solo because that acceleration icon is a bit more punishing anyway. And I was playing yeah. it the other day and I was just like, I'm just not drawing any side schemes to clear to be able to get rid of this thing. On, mm -hmm. um, is it, is yep. it build the case? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was a fun one. Um, See, so you, you mentioned the art there. Um, You know, yeah, I think a lot of the humor comes from the art, comes from the flavor text. Was presumably as, as the person responsible for the product, you were 
were writing the art briefs or, or kind of hunting out the mm -hmm. answer was was that something that was in your mind to kind of try and make it humorous in in those ways oh very much so yeah i i had a i had a blast working on the art briefs for this product um and and slipping in a whole bunch of various uh, pop culture references was is something I, I always like to do uh, in things I work on. And so this just gave me all sorts of, of free reign to, to do that kind of thing. I have to ask, off the back of the pop culture references thing, uh, is it you or is it Caleb that's a Monty Python fan? Or is it both of you? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest. I've never been a big Python fan. Um, I, I've tried watching a few of the, of the movies, but just not really my style of humor but my my play testers are actually a number of them are big python fans and so they suggested some some ideas that i could get in there to reference back to those those films yeah the uh, the shrubbery on fetch quests the yeah. one that leaps immediately to mind cool so you know certainly um we've had a lot of fun playing playing mojo and you know the response of kind of the buzz i've seen around the internet generally seems to be be really positive i know obviously you wouldn't be able to tell us what but if if people enjoyed Mo mojo can they look forward to to more tony designs at some point in the near future definitely yeah um there are certainly things coming down the pipe excellent and you know if you could pick any character from the whole of marvel hero or villain to design who who, who would you who would you choose that's a tough one. Uh, a lot of my favorite Marvel characters are already in the game, like Spider-Man, Rogue, Gambit. Um, if I had to pick one, uh, I would say Squirrel Girl interests me. Um, I haven't mm -hmm. read a lot of her books, uh, but from what I have read, she's a really fun character. And I, I have some ideas about what her hero kit might look like. That could be quite fun. Hopefully this uh, hopefully this game keeps going long enough that we'll get to uh, to see all of the the crazy ideas that that people have had. Yep, we'd we'd love to do every character if we could. <laughs> yeah, well, as a um, as a certain company who I uh, I won't name because they're they're not owned by Asmodee uh, are currently proving there are uh, there are a lot of Marvel characters that you can put into games more than you might necessarily have uh, have thought of <laughs> or heard of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a deep roster. I mean, even looking at like spider-related characters, there's probably a hundred of them. So. Yeah, more spider expansions. That's what we want. <laughs> Everyone wanted X-Men, but they're a, they're a popular milieu. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I wonder how many people had heard of heard of Penny before uh, before she appeared in Champions. Which I think was she was she mm -hmm. in was she in Into the Spider Verse. She was, yeah. She was, yeah. That, that's how I knew of her. Her in Spider Ham. Oh, I'm so happy that we got a Spider Ham hero. Yeah, he's a lot of fun. Yeah, I think it'd been what like an entire year before he was announced. I've been saying to James, we need a Spider Ham hero. I really want a Spider Ham <laughs> hero. They better eventually do a Spider Ham hero. And then Spider Ham was announced, and I was like. Oh, I don't know if I want a Spider-Ham hero anymore. It feels like a waste. And then I got the Spider-Ham hero and I was like, I'm so glad they did a Spider-Ham hero. <laughs> yep, yep. And announcing it on April the 1st was was just perfection because there's such so much of a so much overlap I think between the Champions community and Arkham veterans who who had experienced Barkham. Um 
mm-hmm. the, our, one of our co-hosts, Mike, I think was was convinced basically until it actually appeared on the following week's release sheet that Spider Ham wasn't a real product and it was just a joke announcement by FFG. Yeah, yeah, that was perfect timing for that. Um, well, anyway, you know, thanks, uh, thanks very much for your for your time this evening. I think we're gonna gonna close out that section of the show. Great, thanks so much for having me. Cool. So. Tony has left us now because uh, you know he's a man who's giving up his uh, his his working hours to to join us. But uh, Simon and I are still here to uh, to round things out. So let's let's move on to some uh, some alter ego actions. Simon, what what have you been up to outside the world of the uh, the co-op LCG? I've been up to stuff and things. Um... Great. Next host. Oh. <laughs> No, I got a switch around Christmas, not for Christmas, but Christmas adjacent. Um, so I've been playing Pokemon Violet on that quite aggressively. Um, Sorry, Pokemon Violet? Completely. Violet. Okay. Sorry, you said it was aggressive. The color. Maybe. No, no. Uh, aggressively, in the, I've been playing it. Obsessively is probably a better word. I've been playing it a lot, completed the main storyline, and now I'm focusing on going through and getting all of the Eevee evolutions because I'm a nerd. I assume there are many. Uh, there's like nine now, I think. I'll be honest. I've so, played Pokemon Go. I've never played an actual Pokemon game, so the specifics and the yeah, mechanics are going to be lost on me. It's good fun. It's like very much just like an open world RPG type thing. Go around, try and catch Pokemon, level up the Pokemon, complete missions, beat trainers find rare Pokemon and catch them. It's like, like I said, I've been playing it obsessively, but it's quite like a relaxed game. Like you can dip in and out of it and you don't have to sit there and play it for four hours straight. You might. You could stop anytime you want to. Exactly. Nice. How about you? What have you been up to? Um, so I have been busy with various bits and pieces, um, but the the thing I want to talk about tonight, because it seems quite pertinent to our episode, uh, is another podcast I've been listening to. Um, this is the podcast Cerebro, which is a it's an X Men comics podcast. Um, so I think they're kind of heading up towards a hundred episodes now, uh, and each week they they take an X Men or X Men adjacent character and kind of go through their complete history in the comics, you know, kind of talking about, yeah, unpacking some of the often complicated, tangled up uh, history and retcons and retcons on the retcons and retcons on the retcons on the retcons. Um, and then, you know, kind of a sort of Q&A at the end where they, you know, think about weird aspects of the character or, you know, things that might be coming up in the future. Um, it's particularly pertinent because last week's episode was actually a long shot episode and you get about five minutes into the episode and they go... If you haven't listened to the Mojo episode, go back and listen to the Mojo episode. Um, the um, yeah, the, the the Mojo episode. Um, the the guy who hosts it, uh, he managed to get uh, an Innocenti, uh, who is the uh, our Marvel comic book writer who actually created Mojo and Longshot. They managed to get her on as as the guest to to, to talk about. Uh, talk about mojo so yeah if you're interested in x-men comics generally particularly if you've got this sense which i think many people have of yeah x-men cartoons were cool in the 90s i liked the films but the comics feel like quite a daunting 
place because there's so many years of continuity and contradiction and whatever. Yeah, if there's a character you're interested in, just look up the podcast and listen to it, and it it, it does a does a lot of work in uh, in unpacking it and making it uh, making it accessible. Is there a many hours long episode about why Scott Summers is the villain? Um, so uh, Cyclops, unsurprisingly, um, comes in uh, you know quite early in the in the podcast history. And generally speaking, like the early episodes are sort of fairly short and restrained, and kind of as you get into the, I, th- I think they're in the third season now. You get the kind of three three to four hour sprawling epics. Um, n- no, they uh, they. Generally speaking, they are they are pretty pro Cyclops, but I think particularly if you know, well, I think both of us we are we are not huge uh, not huge Cyclops fans. There's yeah, there, there's some kind of interesting takes on him which I think uh, are worth listening to, and yeah, put uh, certainly a perspective on the character that I I hadn't considered before. Okay, so yeah, worth annoyingly, it. despite my dislike for Cyclops. I do find that his pre-con to be quite fun. And I always feel a little bit icky when I enjoy it. I think I've mostly stripped it for parts. Because everyone else <laughs> wants enough. all those X-Men allies in their decks of whatever aspect. That's true. I do think he's like he's definitely, I think, got the most potential as we get more X-Men and more X-Men allies. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like, we all know how much of a fan I am of taking many aspects in one deck. There's probably a comment to make about Adam Warlock here, but I can't think what it is. So, that as much as I love him, I've only ever played him like three times, so I can't like it that much. I mean, well, you know, that's probably fewer times than I've played him, but more than I'd want to. <laughs> yeah, that's better. Well, that's that's probably it for us tonight. So there's just the two of us. So, Simon, if people wanted probably to get in is. touch with us, how could they go about doing that? They could find our blog, which has got all of our previous episodes on it, uh, at tcgcoop.design.blog. There's a few articles on there as well. And you can also, of course, find all of our previous episodes on whatever you're currently listening to this podcast on, be it Spotify or iTunes or any other random podcast player uh you can contact us by email uh at tcgcoop at gmail.com you can find us on twitter at card cooperative you can find us on facebook by searching for the card game cooperative oh hang on sorry going back does is is twitter still a thing last i heard it was just on fire and was meant to be gone Uh, by the end of the week and then it still seems to be here it still exists we're on it. We don't use it as much, but we'll be responsive. If you at us on it, I'll probably reply. Fair enough. Uh, you can find James floating around various Discord servers. What would your name be if people spotted you, James? Um, so, yeah, if, you, if you're keeping an eye out for me, I am probably Mighty Jim um, of some description. Um, if you're actually trying to hunt me down, then I'm Mighty Jim, hashtag 6786. If you're I don't know, can you search on these things? I don't know. Like to don't know. send me a letter or just knock on my front door is probably the best way if you want to if you want to reach me. At me on Twitter and I'll happily give you his address. Uh, you can find <laughs> Michael on Reddit underscore Eric the Cleric. 
uh, and there'll be a link in the show notes to come join us on our very own Discord to come and chat about all things FFG, LCGs, and probably some other random nonsense that we'll post in there as well. Sure, good stuff. Right, well, thanks everyone for listening. Um, that's been a, a remarkably concise episode for once. So, uh, it yeah. certainly has. Nice, should, easy listening. We should probably reassemble soon and produce more because I hear some people actually like listening to this stuff. I'll believe it when I see it. Cool. Thanks, everyone. Good night. <laughs> thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.